and welcome to this week's Mooney on Politics podcast, which is being recorded on Thursday, the 2nd of June, I think. Yeah, it is the 2nd of June, and this is around 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. Well, obviously afternoon, not morning. This podcast is, as usual, based on my most recent broadsheet piece, which itself was actually quite short, uh, because it started off looking at the Dublin Airport tobacco from the previous weekend, and then kind of linked that into issues I previously touched on here before. Now, as I explained in the broadsheet piece, the column was mercifully short, not because I deliberately set out to write a short piece, but because that's all that was left over the morning after when I realised that all the the expletives and libelous references to the Dublin airport senior management, which I'd angrily included the night before, probably needed to be withdrawn before the thing could be published. And the other reason the piece was short is because it's effectively a follow-up to previous efforts, particularly last week's, because again, I was I found myself writing about how the cost of living in Dublin is slowly grinding life here to a standstill. Because this piece, last week's piece, and a previous one on the level of street crime are all connected. And it's not as if people haven't seen this coming. Back in October 2019, in the course of a tirade about the perils of relying on public transport, I wrote, and this is the quote, There is now almost no area or facet of Dublin's infrastructure that is not close to breaking point. I regularly hear from clients and colleagues about the difficulties they encounter in attracting young talent to come and live and work in Dublin as people hear about our spiralling cost of living and the declining quality of life. We are pushing much of this city's infrastructure so far beyond any reasonable point of endurance that we risk putting Dublin's future as a good place to live in grave risk. End of quote. Fact is, we obviously were also putting Dublin's economic viability at risk. Now, there was no great genius to my prophecy. It's been obvious since the start of the economic recovery that public policy makers were neither going to learn any lessons from the economic crash nor use the, the crash and the recovery to reset the balance between economic growth and creating a livable environment. And the result is what we see about us in Dublin today. A city infrastructure that is creaking at the seams because it cannot serve the needs of those who depend on it but which cannot be expanded because the labour needed to rebuild that infrastructure cannot be found as the wages cannot reasonably cover the cost of living in or around the city. And around the city is now kind of meaning a 30-40 kilometre radius of Dublin city centre. So we now have a classic catch-22. We cannot accommodate the additional workers we urgently need to make this city work satisfactorily, But neither can we make this city work satisfactorily until we can house and offer those additional workers a decent standard of living. Again, it returns to a point I made some weeks ago. How can you have a workable accommodation and housing model where renting a two-bedroom apartment costs somewhere in the region of €2,000 per month, but it only costs €1,200 per month to pay a mortgage on that apartment, but you can't get a mortgage at an apartment and you can't buy it because the money isn't available and you also are paying so much in rent currently that you cannot save up the deposit to become a buyer. We have created a model that just doesn't work. So the net result of this Catch-22 and everything else is that we are failing to find and implement a major shift in public policy to address address it. This is going to steadily lead to a market-driven decline of the city, driving people away until the population, social and economic activity fits our dwindling infrastructure. But the problem is it won't stop there. The city will go into a, a major decline. 
and are, and if you look at figures that have come out over the last few days, so much of what this country is generating is in the new uh, technology sectors, the ICT sectors, and a great deal of that is coming out of Dublin, as it is the headquarters for so many of the world's leading data-driven and technology companies. Now, in the recent in a recent move by Minister Simon Harris. Allowing students to earn a few grand more before losing their Susie grants is not going to answer the labour shortages problems we see across all sectors of our economy, not just in our trains, our buses or in Dublin Airport. So Minister Simon Harris's Monday morning announcement is a bit like the little old Jewish lady who, upon seeing a man collapse on the street and surrounded by paramedics and ambulance staff, breaks her way through screaming, Give him some chicken soup, give him some chicken soup. Madam, says the paramedic, the man has had a heart attack. Chicken soup won't help him. Yes, says she, but it wouldn't hurt. By the way, the original person of the joke, I'm nearly sure, said it'd give him an enema, but I decided not to use that in the printed version of this. And I probably shouldn't be using it in the podcast either. But however, let's move on. Though Simon Harris's comments and suggestions do not make the situation any worse, they do draw attention to the dire paucity of any big-scale thinking across the rest of government, and sadly across the opposition too. Perhaps this was a factor in the always ambitious minister's thinking. We shall never know or even care, but the steady-as-she-goes approach we see coming from his colleagues is no longer acceptable. On Taoiseach Michal Martin was quite correct when, speaking from Lebanon, he described the scenes at Dublin Airport over the weekend as not satisfactory. But on Taoiseach and his ministers need to understand that the chaos at Dublin Airport is part of a wider problem and that is much worse than not satisfactory. Now, by the way, this is not to exculcate the senior management on board of Dublin Airport, who, in the days leading up to Wednesday, when they appeared at the Oireachtas Committee, had maintained almost Carmelite levels of serene disconnection and silence. Now, one must assume that the airport management, which individually and collectively is professional and experienced, also had a story to tell. So you have to wonder why on the Sunday, Monday, and indeed on the Tuesday, they weren't doing so. And while the airport's communications team did a quite a reasonable job on Sunday and Monday. But where were the people who were actually responsible for managing the airport? Why were they not out in front and centre rather than those people who were just responsible for managing communications? See, the absence of any senior board or management team, particularly the board chairman, CEO or airport managing director, on the media on Sunday was stunning. Why wasn't one of them on the main evening news on RT at 9 o'clock to explain each detail why the scenes had happened and the steps they were taking to avoid or repeated these scenes. Billions has been spent by the state giving Dublin a, a, an airport which would offer passengers coming in and leaving the country a relatively pleasant experience. And the people who are paid to ensure this happens were clearly having problems last week doing it. And it's only the fair and it was only fair that the rest of us knew what these were. Now in in many ways that's what happened on Wednesday when a large chunk of Dublin Airport senior management team appeared at the Oireachtas Transport Committee. And for the most part, they acquitted themselves reasonably well. They explained the difficulties with the rostering. They explained that there had been a technical issue, which meant that some security staff who were not in fact qualified, or they had yet to be certified, I should say more correctly, to operate the machines had actually been put onto the roster but couldn't work because they hadn't been properly certified. And then on top of that, you had a a kind of a high rate of absenteeism in the region of 18 or 20 staff not showing up on the day. So therefore you had somewhere, I think think it was 37 was the number was mentioned, personnel who should have been rostered and should have been in attendance on Sunday who weren't there. But pretending that there isn't a bigger problem 
one that requires significant shifts in policy address is doing none of us any favours. And that's why we must look back to the bigger issue of why Dublin is struggling and why living in Dublin is so expensive. I was talking to a taxi driver yesterday who talked about when he came here to live, he, he, came, he had come here from South America, he had come here in the late 1990s, he explained that he had originally worked in the hospitality sector and that about, I think about just under half of his wages were spent on living in a reasonable digs, which he shared with a couple of other lads, and that they could have a reasonable quality of life there. He explained to me now that while the wages had not increased dramatically since that time, that the cost of rental had, and therefore he knew that the next generation of younger guys were not in a position to do that. And that's the problem. We don't have the labour to make the city work. But neither do we have the places where they can live and stay. And if people are going to be working here, and particularly in the hospitality sector, well, then they have to have a reasonable standard of living and a reasonable quality of life to attract them to work and live in Ireland. So this is the difficulty. This is the problem we're not seeing addressed. And instead, we get the Taoiseach promising us citizens' assemblies on neutrality, etc., and indeed, one of the issues about the, new, the Citizens' Assembly, and it came up in the issue of what's happening about Dublin, because this problem around Dublin is, is lot, leaving a lot of people to think, well, maybe the answer is having a directly elected mayor. I've argued fairly consistently that I think that's not the answer to our problems. Not because Dublin doesn't need some form of governance, it clearly does, but because I think the model that's been proposed is not one that will work because the question of scale, if you're going to have a mayor for the greater Dublin area, that mayor would have a directly elected mandate, second only to that of the president, and because they would probably be elected mid-term of a government term, you would find that invariably that it turned into not just an election on the mayor, but a referendum on how you felt about the government, and, and that would probably lead most cases to a form of gridlock with the mayor of Dublin coming from the opposition parties and setting themselves up in opposition to the government and having so few powers that they can change things that most of the time they'll end up blaming the government for what's going wrong in Dublin. Anyway, so I just don't see how that's a remedy for Dublin's problems. Now, there is, at the moment, a citizens' assembly sitting out in uh, Malahide most weekends to look at a directly elected mayor model for Dublin. Now, I wish them the best of luck. I think the people involved in that are trying their very best to come up with a model that works. But why I think this is just kicking the can down the road is because in 2019, the people of Limerick agreed to have a directly elected mayor. And here we are um, halfway through 2022, and there's no sign of that directly elected mayor being elected. Now, how long more is that going to be delayed? So rather than sitting at setting up a citizens' assembly to see about how the model could theoretically work in Dublin, Here's a situation where they could actually go and create the model and have it operating in Limerick and see how that is functioning and see what powers need, extra powers need to be given or do we need to abandon the model completely and we're refusing to do so and the government seems to be running away and hiding from an election. It's, it's absolutely understandable why there was no direct election for the Mayor of Limerick in 2020 due to Covid and through most of 2021 due to Covid. But surely by now, we should be at the point where we're ready to have the election. If the election is going to take place in September, October, which the Minister for State indicated, well then why aren't we hearing the parties out selecting candidates and trying to identify people, etc.? And I fear that there is an attempt here to kick this to touch again 
and that the mayor directly elected mayor of Limerick, that direct election won't take place probably until 2024, if it takes place at all. And in the meantime, we'll have a report coming in next year from the Citizens' Assembly, where the government will say, well, we need to look at everything again. And the Citizens' Assembly model, which I think is one that can work and has a hu- and, and does have a major role to play in public policy formation, will be abused and turned into a model for just kicking the can down the road. That, I fear, is happening. We have a government that fails to recognise the problems around it, but more importantly, fails to recognise the scale of those problems and realise that those problems must be addressed as a scale not only equal to us but even greater than us if they are to get a hold of the situation. And until this government or its successor grasps that fact, grasps that it needs to do more and needs to do it quicker and that 10-year timelines on housing or 8-year timelines on X or Y are not sufficient, then I think the city is going to slowly but gradually grind, not quite to a halt, but it's going to go into a decline. And it's going to see those new industries, those new sectors, those new people who have contributed so much to the vibrancy of the city over the past 20 to 30 years leave and not return. And I think that's going to be sad. We can also look at the impact and the knock-on of last weekend to the tourist sector, etc., but I think that's probably in the, that's probably an article for the future. One final point I would make about the airport is one of the things I was kind of struck when the Dublin airport officials appeared at the Oireachtas Committee was sometimes they kept re- referring to the fact that well, 95% of people get through to the planes and got through and managed to catch the planes they had arrived there to catch. And really, I don't think that's a high test or a high bar to set for an airport. I think it should be more than about, well, you managed to get on the plane that you had already paid for. I think it should be about, well, look, you got through in a certain amount of time. You got through in a leisurely style that 100% of the flights left on time or 98% left on time. But the idea that not catching a plane is acceptable is just not on. However, we'll see what happens. As I say, I'm heading to the airport on Sunday because I've been in Berlin for meetings from for early part of next week. So I'm anticipating that I'll probably get through okay. It'll probably be a bit bumpy and I'll probably have to stand around and queue around longer than I want to. But I think in today's, compared to last weekend, that's a, a burden. I don't think anyone's going to complain too much about. Anyway, there we go. I hope you have a very good weekend. I hope you get to enjoy the bank holiday weekend. Kind of looking out the window at the moment. The weather seems so-so, but hopefully it'll improve. And I hope you have a good weekend and I will talk to you in about two weeks time. And so until then, look after yourselves, take care and goodbye.